And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, Bob, one of the questions that, uh, well, it's, it's apparent to me that we probably shouldn't even need a script with you. So uh, one of the questions that wasn't even preset and Rachel and I were talking about was, you went through a transition from being an attorney to now an author and a speaker and developing really a brand. Would you share with us just a little bit about what that transition was like for you from one career to another and maybe uh, advise anyone who's in the room thinking about maybe a potential change in their work situation? And some of the like kind of definition of terms, I heard brand for the first time. I thought that's what cowboys did to cattle. Um, <laughs> and think about platforms, I'm like thinking painters and scaffolding. Um, so what if you lose all of that and to just say what I want to do is kind of catch up with who I am. And the fact is that a lot of us are one or two jobs behind who we've turned into. So you have these capabilities. I'm like, I'm like the rain man. I can take a bar exam anywhere, including Indiana, and pass. It is weird. My shoes could be on the wrong feet. My feet could be on the wrong feet. But when it comes to like bar exams, I'm good at it. But, and, and I was a good lawyer, but I feel like while I was capable of being a lawyer, I wasn't made to be a lawyer. Right, so that idea for each of you to say, like, getting current with not just your capabilities, but this idea of calling, and I know that can be kind of a, 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 a weird term because, like, I get a hundred phone calls a day from the back of these books I've written, and so those are calls. Um, the everything else is like kind of a, a, a guess. It's informed by my faith, by my experience. But I just felt like while I was capable of being a lawyer, there was something more beautiful that was out there. So I started using my career as fundraising. So I would go to work and I'd make a bunch of money as a lawyer, and then I'd start doing stuff overseas. And I'd work myself right out of a job. I knew it was time to quit uh, because I walked into my own law firm at the top of a bank building in Seattle, and the woman at the front said, who are you here to see? <laughs> I'm like, actually, that's my name on the wall. <laughs> it had been one year since I'd stepped into my own office. But I was just up to other things. And um, one of the things that was really beautiful is to just continue to say, catch up with who you are. So we have this beautiful tradition of quitting something every Thursday. I got everybody together in my law firm. We found the biggest conference room. I, uh, when I got them, they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I quit. <laughs> And I took the key off my key ring and I gave it to a guy that had been working for me for a decade. I said, it's all yours, man. You don't owe me anything. He said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Except he didn't say kidding. You know what I mean. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you know what? While it was a bad economic move, it's a great new creation move. And I just want you guys to be kind of catching up with this new creation that God is up to in your life, like the most current version of you. Roll that out. Don't be stuck by your capabilities. Bob, one of the things that you've said um, and, and that I love and I often repeat it when I'm giving talks is there's a difference between good judgment and living in judgment. And we're not held back by what we don't have, but by we don't, what we don't use. Can you share with us a time when you realized you weren't using what you had? Yeah, I can say that that happens all the time. What, what things 
that uh, prompted me growing up was a lot of fear, like fear that I wouldn't have enough or fear of these things. And I, it really took a little while to overcome that and to just say, I don't live in an idea of like there's scarcity. I'm just gonna live where there's this opportunity to create some adventures with our kids and an opportunity for somebody else. We're uh, now in uh, six or seven countries and uh, I've known a total of zero people when I got to the country the first time. So the first time I got to Mogadishu, Somalia, <laughs> to start schools, I'm like, I'm here. And <laughs> it is like a level of call of duty. <laughs> I've been here, hang a lot. <laughs> Ask your kids. Well, one of the things that um, uh, I've, I've uh, realized is that I acted like a reservoir for a lot of my life. And I think the subtle switch for me is to be a river, to say, I'm just gonna let these things flow through me. And even uh, yesterday, we uh, got all the kids on a conference call. There's this camp that came up for sale. And a I've lost five friends who've taken their life this year. And I'm just like so over people living without having vulnerable lives or people knowing that they're hurting. And so I got the kids on the phone. I said, I'm giving away your inheritance. I'm buying a camp today. <laughs> Get a job. And <laughs> But I'm right back to what we were talking about before, like know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I don't want to be a reservoir, I want to be a river. And I think you guys do too. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we love to talk about in our podcast on Bottom Line Faith is um, living out faith in the marketplace. And as you've had a chance, Bob, to travel the world and, and uh, meet with business owners, entrepreneurs, who has stood out to you? Could you give us an example or two of someone that you have said, they are really living out their faith in business. They're really making a difference in the marketplace. Does anybody come to mind? Yeah, and it won't be the big shots. It'll be yeah. people that are uh, just uh, like us. We're just trying to make our way through. And you realize, did you know that I went all the way through college not knowing that that piece of cardboard that's in your <laughs> shirt is supposed to come out? I am not kidding. So I just need you to know who you're talking to right now. <laughs> and after several washings, it was looking a little ratty. <laughs> and somebody came up to me, and what they did is they put my, their hand behind my back, and they just pulled the cardboard out, you know, in shreds. Like, they just <laughs> pulled that. It was just so nice. And it would be people like that that had a kind word. They didn't make a big deal. They didn't want to make me feel awkward. They didn't have a big point to make. They were just the people that just came behind me and just, you hey guys, have you ever gone through the day and realized at the end of the day your shirt is one button off? Come on, admit it. Yeah, sometimes mine is like two buttons off. And <laughs> you, look, you look good now. I, I checked know, before I, you I got double checked. Yeah, you're yeah. okay now. And so, uh, so one of the things is to uh, say that these people that have informed me the most would be business owners that were usually a button or two off. Um, <laughs> that they would do things a little different than everybody else, and I would ask why. And the ones that have dazzled me the most are the ones that had a reason. Like they know why they do what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Blessings, not hugs. Uh, the people that have uh, been super intentional with their people say, you have a kid, you just get to do whatever you want, right? So it would be those people, and I can think of the, I could give you a bunch of companies, but they're all uh, humble men and women that are, are just a lot not like sleepwalking their way through. Because if, uh, do any of you sleepwalk? 
here showing, raise your hand. No one's yeah, choosing yeah. to acknowledge yeah, that. My, my son, <laughs> Richard, was a sleepwalker all the way through high school. And every morning at 2 a.m., he'd walk downstairs in his boxers right out the front door. And so I'm a light sleeper, so I'd wake up, get out of bed in my boxers, and I'd walk out with him. And we would just stand on the side of the street together. It's at least a misdemeanor. <laughs> I didn't want to wake him up because I read that psychology book. He'll be 50 and still living with me. So I would just stand with him until he said, it's time to go back inside. I'm like, all right, buddy. And I'd always ask him the next morning and say, look, buddy, how'd you sleep? He's like, like a rock. I'm like, not. <laughs> but there's something beautiful about people that are in leadership that are super intentional. They'll just go and be with you. Everything isn't a teachable moment. It's an opportunity to just be with you and not just rattle you awake, but to be super intentional about these things. We have a, we're hiring somebody now because everybody's pregnant. And so we're, <laughs> we went from 100 people to 50 to 25 to 10. So this afternoon I'll be making calls to all 10 people. And every time I make these last 10 calls, I'll ask this. Somewhere in the conversation, I'll say, I know this is off topic, but I've been trying to find a two pound eggplant, can't find it anywhere. And then we'll get back to whatever we we're talking about. Out of 10 people, there'll be one person that'll go over to Trader Joe's, get an eggplant, deliver it in a bag. We put it on the scale, and if it weighs two pounds, they're hired. <laughs> There's something beautiful, because if people are listening for what you want, you don't need to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. And I would say, in business, in leadership, surround yourself with people who are listening for what you want. I'm listening, if you've developed a lock picker's touch, you're just like, you're listening for those things. Yeah. How can I serve you? How can I be out in front of that? So I follow you on social media. Does anyone here follow him on social media? If you haven't, you can check out lots of different things. But you recently tweeted this, the more beauty we find in someone else's journey, the less we will want to compare it to our own. Can you elaborate on this idea a bit more? Oh yeah, comparison is just a punk. <laughs> <laughs> It really will rip you off. It'll steal your lunch money every single time. <laughs> and so Sweet Maria wonderfully says me, to me all the time, keep your eyes on your own paper. There's a guy named Matt Edmond. He's the best shot in the world. He represented the United States in the Olympics, and he had the gold medal sewn up. He had one last shot to take. He could have hit the black, the white. He probably could have shot the ref and still won. And, and he took a half a breath. He pulled the trigger. Bullseye! And nobody said a word. Do you know why? He was aiming at the wrong target. Oh. It's called crossfire, and it doesn't happen very often in the Olympics, but it happens all the time in the workplace. Mm. We're aiming for other people's targets. Yeah. Like this idea, like, live a life worthy of the calling you've received, right? This is Paul to his friends. Stop looking at other people's papers. Look at, their, uh, at your life. What is it that you're good at? Aim at those things. Yeah. And so I'm tempted always to do a little crossfire and I just say like, what's my thing? So I'm around my friends who don't understand me. I'm around my parents who don't understand me. I'm around, uh, following your faith means a life of being constantly misunderstood. So that's just Tuesday for me. <laughs> Wednesday's coming. And I think if you just know that, I'm not aiming for being misunderstood, but when it happens, it reminds me, why am I doing what I'm doing again? I'm like, I know. Yeah. I always say I'm a better leader at church than I am anywhere else because I have one goal, and that's to get there, right, to get to heaven, and I don't care what my title is, and I don't care 
what they say, that's that's my goal. And so I just feel like I'm better there because I I don't get my head worried about status and position and title and money and all the things that end up distracting us and all the things I think that cause us to have fear sometimes as well. If my goal is just to go there, then that's a pretty clear vision. Yeah, and the problems for authors and people that talk a lot, Jesus was talking to his friends. He said, if you stand on a corner, make a big deal out of everything you did, we don't get to talk about it in heaven. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm going to say, you know that Somalia thing? He's like, yeah, I read the book. <laughs> you know the thing in Iraq? He's like, yeah, yeah, I heard you on social media. But like, one of the things is keep a couple secrets, but just the right kinds of secrets. Don't keep them from your spouse. But like, but the right <laughs> kinds of secrets, right? To say, I actually want to store that one up for a little bit later. Yeah. So, Bob, you're talking about comparison and that it's, it's the enemy of greatness, right? I recently had a chance to interview a fellow by the name of Dayton Moore. He's the general manager of the Kansas City Royals. And three years ago, they won the World Series on the smallest payroll in the history of baseball as far as World Series champions. And he talks a lot about comparison is the enemy of greatness. And so for those who are in the audience and going to be watching this or listening to this in the future, how would you coach them through, okay, I'm starting a business, I'm starting a new chapter in my company, or I'm launching a new product, or I'm developing a new career, but I don't have this, I don't have that. Would you speak and coach us on how you would respond to that mindset about what I don't have versus what I do have? Yeah, well, I have a couple things that pop to mind. Uh, If you're just starting your business and you're listening and you're here and you're broke, that's awesome because you can't get more broke. Like, <laughs> broke is broke. <laughs> what a great time to start something. If you're in college and you're totally broke, you got all the student loans, like, what a great, to build a hotel because, like, really, if it doesn't work out, you're still broke. <laughs> the person that I worry about is the guy that owns the Gulfstream because he don't want to lose the Gulfstream. <laughs> So use some of these things to your advantage to say, what's my circumstance and how can I use that to my advantage? And and some of the things that we're hanging on to, we have this idea that we just, we, we, uh, that we need to do what it takes when we figure out what we want. Uh, and I am so fickle about what I want. So I would run that through the sieve a little bit at a time. On day one, if I said I want a horse, and I got a day a horse on day two. You know what I'd be thinking on th- day three? What horse? Right. <laughs> I'd be off to the next thing. So find things that actually have shelf life. What I want. I want a family that's close. I want to make an impact uh, in people's lives. Uh, little girls and education is like a big deal. It's not a noble thing. It's just a thing that's come across my uh, radar. And so you'll have things. Know why you're doing what you're doing. And then be willing to do what it takes to get what you want. There's a guy named Tyler who wanted to come to Mogadishu with me. I'm like, oh buddy, heck no. Cause Tyler has dreadlocks down to his waist. I'm like, but if you get off the plane looking like that, they're gonna shoot you in the face. Then they're gonna shoot me in the face cause I'm standing next to you. Do you know what Tyler did? He cut his dreadlocks off. He'd been growing these things for 17 years. He had a Viking burial. They're probably still burning. <laughs> like, he, was, he looks like he works for IBM now. But, 
But what he was willing to do is whatever it takes to get what he wanted. And then importantly, to answer your question, uh, people that use what they already have. There's a guy named Ivan that came to our school in Gulu, Uganda. His big ambition, he wanted to be an artist. Here was his problem. He didn't have a paintbrush and he didn't have a, a canvas. All he had was a spear and a bedsheet. And you know what Ivan started painting paintings with a spear and a bedsheet? I wish I could show you guys the caliber of the paintings he makes. So there's something beautiful, know what you want, do what it takes to get what you want, and use what you've got right now. Like this idea of deferral, like, well, as soon as the kids arrive, or as soon as the kids leave, or as soon as I get the raise, or whatever. And no, there's going to be, don't wait till you get your act together. Remember, I'm two buttons off, and I'm the guy with the cardboard in his collar, thinking like, what? <laughs> so don't think you need more knowledge. What you need is an opportunity. And so be the people that are just looking for opportunities, wherever they pop out. We keep giving people information, and what they need is an opportunity. I'm gonna say one last thing, and I'll shut up on this. There, there's a young guy, his name was Aaron, who's working for me as a paralegal for like a decade. I said, buddy, what do you want? And he's like, I wanna actually be a lawyer. But here was the problem. He didn't have 200 grand for law school, and he didn't have three years. He had three kids and a wife. And so I went to the state bar, and I said, I've taught at Pepperdine for a decade, can I have my own law school with one student? And can I teach Aaron the bar myself? And so they said, you have to make three years of curriculum, and we did, and Aaron studied for three years, he just passed the bar. Wow. This idea of giving people an opportunity. He looked as surprised as we were. <laughs> I made him give the valedictorian speech. He's also last in the class. But we made hoodies, <laughs> golf law. And there's something beautiful about that. <laughs> don't wait for an invitation. Don't wait to apply. And don't wait to be accepted. Because Jesus didn't, uh, he gave a lot of invitations, but there was no paperwork to fill out. And so to just assume that you're invited to this beautiful ambition. That's awesome. One of the things that you talk about is dream big. And I imagine that there's people here who have heard you talk about being a big dreamer and you talk about yourself as having whimsy. Um, I know when I, I think one of the things that attracted me to your books was this big idea. And then I remember thinking like, I don't think I have very big dreams. So what would you say to somebody that is wanting to dream big, struggling to dream big? What advice would you give for someone to do so? Yeah, what a great question. I would say, what are your, or, or I'm right back to what are your ambitions? There was a woman named Tori who uh, called me along with her fiance as they were about to walk down the aisle and get married. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> they said, will you pray for us? I'm like, oh, I'd be so honored. I literally just like, took my shoes off. I'm like, I felt like this was holy ground. And, and so it was probably four years later, I got a call from Tori's husband and she said, you remember us, you prayed for us when we walked down the aisle. I'm like, I do remember that. And she said, well, Tori's in the hospital. I'm like, oh heavens, like, what happened? Get this, Tori's in church and she found out about a girl who is 21 years old and she has liver cancer. And so she needed a new liver. Tori gave her half of hers. Wow. Uh, and there, I just think that's just so beautiful and nutty. But you know what, Tori's ambition, she wanted to save one person's life. Uh, that was just her ambition. So she was like looking out for the opportunity to do that. So find an ambition, get crystal clear on what it is, and look for an opportunity to do that. 
And whether like the, you'll get any accolades for, for that or not, to just say, I know what I want and I'm gonna look for a chance. I want my son to have a date. Like, I'm looking <laughs> for a chance. I'm gonna take a billboard out. <laughs> Date my son.com. But, but <laughs> know what you want, do what it takes to get what you want, use what you got. Tori used what she had, and it was half her liver. And there's something beautiful about that. And she didn't even know the person, and she didn't want anybody to know. Isn't that yeah. beautiful. So selfless. That's beautiful. <clears throat> One of the uh, folks who was the founding uh, members of Ser uh, Servant. Um, leadership is a, a quote one time said that life is lived looking forward but understood looking back. Yeah. Isn't that a great quote that life yeah. is lived looking forward but understood looking back. So if you had a chance to go back and counsel the 21 year old version of you, <laughs> what would you say, how would you counsel yourself now that you've had your experiences in life, what would you go back and coach the 21 year old self? Would you be taking yeah. that billboard to, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, don't be worried. I've gotten kicked out of one or two countries and thrown in jail in another <laughs> one or two. Like one of the things that I would say is uh, these ambitions that you have, like pursue them. Like if you've got, if you have clarity about why you're doing it and just assume it is gonna work. I just assume friendship. If anybody doesn't want to be friend with me, just raise your hand. But I just, if you're not having your hand up in the air, I'll just assume you want to be friends. And if you just assume friends, uh, assume friendship, and then treat people with respect, don't get like, have you ever had somebody standing six inches too close? That's an important six inches. Like, so just take a half a step back, right? And just say like, because I'm assuming friendship, I don't want to like crowd your space. And so that's the idea of just treating people with love and respect. Um, and then not uh, trying to engage every argument. And I'm, sometimes in a faith community, we feel like we need to help out baby Jesus. I mean, read Revelations. <laughs> He's out of the crib. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to be his lawyer, and he doesn't need a lawyer, and you're not good at it. And so <laughs> there's a beautiful verse that Second Peter talks about, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that's within you. And a lot of people are ready to like kind of like gear up on that. But the last part of that verse says, but to do it with kindness and respect. And so I think the 21 year old version of me wanted to be like team Jesus. And the, the 60 year old version of me wants to treat people with kindness and respect, whether their worldview is different than mine or be like, I don't know, we're just gonna sort that out later. And what it takes is it's a quarter of a twist. Take, every, take your marriage and give it a quarter of a twist. Take your work and give it a quarter of a twist. It would be, uh, do you know what Delta Airlines used to back their airplanes out and they'd turn them on a 90 degree? You know what they decided to do? We're going 45. We're gonna give it a quarter of a twist. They've saved billions of dollars and hundreds of hours of time by just giving it a quarter of a twist. And so, I, I met this young guy, he said, Bob, you've changed my life. You know, I've done a 360 degree turn in my life. I'm like, actually, you're right back where you started. <laughs> I give it a quarter of a twist the other way. Um, but it's a quarter, you're a quarter of a twist away from being current with who you are in your faith, in your family, in your relationships with vulnerability. Those are all these little quarter twist movements. You talked a little bit ago about um, your sadness with regards to many people passing and mental health issues. And I think that um, 
one of the reasons why your message of love and hope is so relevant to our audiences today is about this increasing risk and concern with regards to mental health. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on how we could be doing more to make love our plan related to these types of issues. You know what I would do is just get your Rolodex out. I guess that's kind of antiquated. You're like For those contacts. of you who don't know what a Rolodex yeah. is, is it's a thing that had phone numbers in it it's that was a Moses paper. Came down with this. What are phone numbers? <laughs> <laughs> What's a phone book? Like so, uh, but go find your contacts. Go right down the list and say, I want a just no BS assessment on how you're doing. Let me lead with telling you how I'm doing. It's that vulnerability we were talking about. I'm just not going to assume my friends are doing okay anymore. There's no drama surrounding it. But say, like, let's just check and let me tell you how my marriage is going. Uh, I get really lonely when I'm away from my wife uh, for more than a day. And I've been away from Sweet Maria for more than a day and feel like really, I feel that. It's not crushing, but it's wilting. Um, how are you feeling in your relationships? And they could just lead. You can set the beautiful guardrails on this. Instead of saying like, let's go really deep. If you try to go a mile deep with people immediately, like if you do that in diving, you get the bends and everybody dies. Like, so what I want you to do is just like descend a little bit at a time, but start with your, say like, this is what's going on with the kids. I have uh, these three kids, all wonderfully different. I feel like I'm doing a really good job here and here, but this is the one I feel like I'm working on. I'm missing it. Don't you dare try to fix me or help me or tell me I'm an awesome dad. I'm just telling you how things are, feel right now for me. And then say, how's it going with your kids? And if we could just spend a moment or two having those leading with love, setting the stage for like, oh, wow, this is actually going to be an authentic conversation. That would be the way to address that where people don't feel lonely. Yeah. And I would say, I won't ask for a show of hands, but in a room like this, there's like 10 or 15 people that are really lonely right now. I'm one of them. I've been away from Maria for a day or two, and I just feel that. And so if we just keep like honest, like just about that, it doesn't mean that you need to define Bob as the lonely guy, nor am mm -hmm. I the balloon boy, right? <laughs> I just put balloons on the cover of that book because a friend of mine wrote a book right before Love Does came out called Love Wins. <laughs> I called them up like, oh, everybody hates your guts, but, which is fine with me. But they don't like love right now, which actually isn't fine with me. So I threw the cover away. We were in the middle of printing. I just threw balloons on it. I just wanted everybody to just chill out. And everybody can't own a puppy, but they can own a balloon. And so if you know why you're doing what you're doing, I'm telling you, three minutes of authenticity, that would be the way to address a whole heap of the challenges that our friends yeah. are silently laboring under. I love it. So Bob, um, this is one of those questions that I, I don't have any idea what's gonna come out of your mouth, right? <laughs> but I've gotta believe that with an audience like this, they might be thinking something like this. If, if you were sitting in this chair interviewing you, what question would you ask you that we haven't asked? Oh, that's a great question. I would say uh, uh, most embarrassing moment. And it's just such a target-rich environment. <laughs> you can answer, but let's not ask that back. I remember okay? this. It was the, I think it was maybe the, about the sixth grade. I was uh, on a baseball team, and I was in the right field because I wasn't any good at hitting or catching or, well, really anything. <laughs> And I, the uniform probably had cardboard in the <laughs> collar. Um, 
But I had to go to the bathroom in the worst way. And we were a particularly bad team. And so with just the inning just never ended. <laughs> they just kept getting more and more runs. And I peed down my left leg. I just couldn't hold it anymore. And I was so embarrassed. But here's the deal. I'm not, I'm 60. I'm not standing out in right field anymore. Right? There was people that were kind. You know what somebody did? They gave me their sweatshirt. I bet they ran that through the wash a couple times afterwards. <laughs> they just gave me, they walked out into right field, they gave me my, their sweatshirt. And I'm telling you that an act of kindness to somebody who'd had a really embarrassing moment, if we could do that for our friends, that would be it, a really simple act. One of my friends made the most viral video uh, in the history of the internet. 140 million downloads in three days. And on the fourth day, he invited me over for breakfast and we're sitting in the kitchen at Pounding Waffles. And then all of a sudden it got really weird and he ripped off all of his clothes. And I'm holding on to him like, buddy, we need to keep this party inside. <laughs> and he got away from me. He ran out on the corner and melted down on TMZ in front of 100 million people. But here's the deal. He doesn't think he's still standing on the corner buck naked. Like, and I don't think that God sees us that way either. He doesn't see us for our worst moment. He sees who we're turning into. And so he doesn't see me as a lonely guy in the sixth grade having a really embarrassing moment. He sees me as a guy who's going to become a grandpa many, many times over, I hope. Um, he sees you for who you're turning into. Have you ever had somebody take your picture and the person taking the picture smiling? Be like, yeah, that's how God sees you. He's like, that's my guy. That's my girl, right? And he doesn't see this. And that, that's a beautiful thing. There's a bunch of theology behind it, but he doesn't see your mess up. He sees his son. And there's something beautiful about that. If we could just see that in the middle of that, we become these really safe places. So yeah. Most embarrassing moment. I won't ask you yours. Thank but you. But what if you think about that for yourself? That would be a great thing to start that three minutes of authenticity was. I remember in the sixth grade, it got pretty wonky. Well, I shared with Gretchen. Can I, I share the story? Yep. So you're talking about embarrassing moments. I am wearing long socks. My friends who are in the room know <laughs> this is true about me, that I never wear socks. This is the first time I wore a pair of long socks in years. And it came out of... I'm not going to go any higher than that. But it came out of an embarrassing moment a few years ago that I was speaking at a conference, a couple thousand people in the room, and I was up on a stool, and my pants legs were pulled up, and there was a huge screen in the back of the room where you could see yourself from the, uh, what was going on on stage. And in the middle of my talk, I looked up, and it was totally spontaneous. Anybody in here in the room when this happened? A few of you, yeah. And um, I looked up. And I saw my bare leg on this huge screen in front of thousands of people. And didn't even think about it. It just came out of my mouth, totally spontaneous. Oh my gosh, you all are looking at my naked leg right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I knew we were on camera today, I put on long socks just for y'all. How's that? <laughs> Come on. So that was one of mine, one of them. <laughs> I feel like I have to share one now. <laughs> There's so many to choose from with me of embarrassing moments. I mean, even just like this week was embarrassing. So I, I, I don't think I can articulate one as fun as that. So I'll just say I have a lot of embarrassing moments. Yeah, but just so don't over identify with your successes or your failures. No. 
Like you're That's the great. sum of what you're hanging on to and what you're willing to let go of. And so I'm just constantly doing that. You guys know I have right pockets, but I have no left pockets in any of my clothes. Like I cut them out because I'm constantly trying to move things from here, what am I hanging on to, to here, what am I going to let go of? Do the same. Guys, there's scissors in the back. Be careful. <laughs> One of the things we were talking about this morning when you arrived was um, how we found you and brought you today. Um, our team had read your book, um, Everybody Always, and loved us. Anyone that's read his books knows he puts his mobile number in the back, right? If you don't know that, if you've got the book, you've got his mobile number now. And uh, Kristen on our team, we were going back and forth about having you, and we kept saying, I'm going to call him. She said, no, I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him. So I finally said, I'm calling him tomorrow. So if you don't call him today, I'm calling him tomorrow. And so uh, we didn't actually call you. We chickened out and we sent an email, but thank you for saying yes. And <laughs> he we said to me, the first, I know the first thing he said was, you should have called. Um, but so in the vein of mobile phones, right? Like you also shared, you have over a hundred people a day calling that number, right? Yeah, yeah. So I imagine you don't really ghost people and you'd maybe probably don't do a lot of texting. You actually get a lot of phone calls. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I disabled texting. So my question to you is, how do you live a fully full life with the potential of constant interruptions and balance being focused and intentional with people at the same time? Yeah, I felt like at one point in my life, I spent so much time trying to find balance. I felt like I tipped over. <laughs> I had day timers and everything timers yeah. and clock timers. I was just like, I've just decided like, no, on a Thursday. I decided I was going to receive calls but not make calls. Isn't that crazy? Because if people want to get a hold of me, I'm a pretty easy guy to find. Um, but I don't want to be the guy that's calling some number back because I don't know who I'm talking to and I don't know what their age is and all that. So I just decided that I would just make that one of those beautiful guardrails for myself. I just like, I get them, I don't make them. But there's the one guy, the guy that got naked, he uh, <laughs> asked me, said, my Aunt Shirley's having her birthday. I'm like, will you call her? I'm like, actually, Jason, I don't make calls. I receive calls, so have Shirley call me. It'll be, she's like, yeah, she'll never call you in a million years. Will you please, please, you gotta call Aunt Shirley. So I'm like, whatever, okay, great, I'll do it. So I got my happiest voice on. I dialed the number and I said, Shirley, it's Bob. Goff, happy birthday. I hope this is the best day of your life. And there's this long pause. I'm like, hello? Oh. <laughs> she said, I'm putting my dog down. I'm like, surely oh. you're kidding me, Shirley. Like, are you, ki you're killing your dog on your birthday? <laughs> she said, it's been a really good friend. I'm like, don't make me one. Like, I'm so, that was the last time last phone call. Yeah. I made a call, but I received many of them. I was in Texas and it wasn't long ago and two girls broke down in their car on the highway and they didn't have toe like coverage, but they had love does in the back. They called me up. Oh my <laughs> I was gosh. in Austin. So I found them on the highway. We fixed their car. It was just their battery cable came off. <laughs> So that idea of living a life in constant anticipation with constant interruptions. There's a guy that calls me every three weeks from Mississippi. He just cusses at me. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I thought I knew all the cuss words. But <laughs> evidently there's new ones. 
<laughs> but we've never gotten to what he's mad about, and I end the conversation with him the same way every single time. I say, I will always take your call. I have him on my caller ID as Volker Kid, because I know I'm going to get an earful. I'm like, brace yourself. <laughs> But there's something about just extravagant, like kind of Uber availability, even before there was Uber. Like to just be really available and it'll keep your feet on the ground. It really just reminds you of who you are. Yeah. That's great. Bob, I have one more question, at least uh, from a preparation standpoint. And for those who listen to our uh, podcast, it's always the last question. I've asked this now over 140 times. And uh, it's based out of Proverbs 4.23, where Solomon writes, Guard your heart. Yes. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life. And uh, many biblical scholars believe that these were among Solomon's last words, that maybe he gathered his family or his friends and loved ones and said, I've given you all this other great advice in life, but I want you to hold on to this. This is my most important piece of advice. So what I'd like to ask, Bob, would you fill in the blank? And, and when it's all said and done for you, what's your above all else advice that you want to leave for your family, your friends, loved ones in the world? Would you fill in the blank above all else? Oh, I, you know, I don't think you could say it better than Solomon. Uh, this idea of uh, guarding your heart means uh, being wise, right? A lot of us uh, want to look smart. And I think the quarter of a twist on that is, I don't care if you look smart, just be wise in the way that you do it. You know the uh, gold reserve uh, is in a vault, and the door to the vault weighs 40,000 tons. Is that crazy? That's a big vault door. The combination of this thing changes 60 times every second. And I think this idea of sometimes guarding your heart, some people misinterpret that as getting inside the vault. Like, I don't need to protect myself from people who creep me out. I just want to engage people. And so I would say, above all else, instead of going for the low-hanging fruit, which is the easy relationships, I'm low-hanging fruit. I'll make you feel like a boss. Um, find people that are a little bit more prickly. Um, and that's where you end up growing. We don't grow where we're informed. We grow where we're accepted. If we could just make people feel accepted, just so like this is a really safe place for you to go be you. Um, and that doesn't mean you're, you're going like light on doctrine, you're just going big on Jesus. And say, I'm just gonna, except he didn't say like, follow me as soon as you get your act together, but to just allow people, we're meeting people at the starting line, not the finish line. And so the things this proverb, or Philippians 1, 6, like these things that he's began in you, he's gonna complete. Our job, start. And, and start with the people across the street. Start with the person at work that creeps you out to say, <laughs> could we just talk for three minutes? Would this be okay? I was talking to this nutty guy this morning. We're talking about three minutes of vulnerability. Let me tell you some of the things that I'm afraid of. Uh, I'm afraid of venom spitting koala bears. I'm afraid of like whatever, come up with whatever it is that you're afraid of. Not thinking that they're gonna put a venom spitting koala bear on your desk. Right? Instead, just trusting that uh, if I could just be vulnerable with people, if I could engage that, I'll make them feel accepted, and we could actually learn how to like kind of exist. I haven't found any scripture to back this up, but I got this suspicion that whoever we couldn't get along with here on earth, 
particularly in our faith communities, <laughs> God will make us roommates in heaven. <laughs> we can argue about the top bunk for eternity. And so I'm just trying to make friends with people right now. You don't know whose backyard you're going to land in, right? So that's great. Thank you, Bob, so much. Thank you so much for your wisdom. You're such a wonderful example of servant leadership. And um, I know with our podcast, we always hope that someone takes at least one thing back and applies that. And I'm hoping that all of you today at least got one, maybe five things out of our conversation with Bob this morning. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate making the time for our wonderful community and and sharing your whimsy and all of your great thoughts. And uh, I hope that you all enjoyed the show as well. Yes. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Go write it down. Come on. Your great grandkids want to hear all about it. Give it a quarter of a twist. Like, so find one thing. Don't just say that would be a swell idea. Send one text message to somebody. Like, just say, like, here's the short version. Somebody that's hurt, hurt you, wounded you. You can guard your heart, but without being in the vault. Just say sorry. Like, don't say sorry you suck. Just say sorry. <laughs> right? <laughs> If you want the long version, say really sorry. There's something beautiful, like <laughs> loving people in a really extravagant, beautiful way. And to say, man, I'm going to find out about my faith. I'm going to find out about more about who I am the more I give this life of mine away. Well, thank you, guys. Honored to be thank with you. you. Bottom Line Faith is a production of Truth at Work. If you'd like to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of new episodes, just enter your email address on our website, bottomlinefaith.org. Download and subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you can download and listen to every Bottom Line Faith episode at bottomlinefaith.org.